0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more. Not just about the world that we live in, about how, what, and why we believe as we do, a time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, usually uncertain, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, my partner Ravinder is here in the studio with me, so Rav, say hello to everyone share some special insight, you know, get us all enthused on these hot days. And please tell everyone how they can learn more about the show or even participate in your new private chat room.
1: Well, hello, everyone. So glad that you could join us. Actually, you confused me this morning. Your front end piece, you dropped my shoes and ships and seeding wax. How do you? <laughs> you know, that's my smile for the day. I don't know. must be something wrong with my brain or something. I do hope everyone is enjoying this warmer weather. Um, right now, we actually have a heat advisory, but I kind of like it, at least in, in the short time, um, because that means come evening after 9, 10 o'clock, it is still gorgeously warm out there. And after having been brought up in England, that is pretty magical. There's something romantic about hot evening. So, um yeah, we've had lots of requests for um, to get our chat room back up, and I haven't found a chat room that I particularly like. So what I did is I created a very, very private WhatsApp group. So if you would like to chat with other people online during the show or chat with me a little bit too, um, and you have WhatsApp, then drop us an email. Um, you can send the email to innertalk at innertalk.com. Um, or check out the website Provocative Enlightenment, there's contact information there. But if you send me your details, your phone number or your email address, whatever you prefer to use on WhatsApp, um, then I can get you added into the group and then we can chat away there too. Um, also, for any other information that gets shared during the show, you know, if the guest provides, you know, a book detail, Amazon links, additional materials, like the guests often do, we will. Um, also post those on Facebook. So we have a special Facebook page that's uh, just search for Provocative Enlightenment Radio and you'll find us. So whatever you do, you can find us, you know, through your preferred channels.
0: All right. In today's spotlight, I would like to address the notion often referred to as sins of the Father. The Bible informs us, according to Exodus 20 and 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. However, later in the Bible, we find many verses such as this one from Deuteronomy 24 and 16. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So what is the story here? Are we to think that only those who hate God are to be visited by the sins of their father? What does science have to say about all this and why is it relevant? Epigenetic research informs us that experience is passed down to our offspring. For example, where one's ancestors lived or how much they valued education can clearly have effects that passed down through the generations. But what about the legacy of their health, whether they smoked, endured famine, or fought in a war? Biologists first observed this transgenerational, epigenetic inheritance in plants. Tomatoes, for example, pass along chemical markings that control an important ripening gene. But, for over the past few years, evidence has been accumulating that the phenomenon occurs in rodents and humans as well. The subject remains controversial in part because it harkens back to the discredited or formally discredited theories of Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, a 19th century French biologist who proposed that organism pass down acquired traits to future generations. Now, I'm sure you're a biologist, Ravinder, and you were taught Lamarck was out to lunch. Too many modern biologists. That's a scary-sounding proposition, says Oliver Randall, a molecular biologist at the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester whose work suggests that such inheritance does indeed happen in animals. If it is true, he says, quote, Why hasn't this been obvious to all the brilliant researchers in the past hundred years of genetics? Close quote. According to research carried out at RMIT University, Dad's diet before they conceived could be genetically passed on to the next generation. With a subsequent impact on those children's mental health. Many scientists argue that criminality is largely inherited. Indeed, after examining the DNA profiles of almost 1,000 criminals, two particular genes were found to be associated with violent but not nonviolent behaviors. Like many issues of this nature, scientists are quick to balk at the idea. It's in our genes. Genetics made me do it. The subject is somewhat like the free will argument for where most scientists today believe, as De DeWall put it when speaking to me about free will, it's a grand illusion. The problem is that when we discuss things like genetics and free will in this context, it provides a defense for bad behavior, and no one really wants to go there. The ideas of original sin, something Lamarck argued is present in our genes, together with the behavior, environment, and even memories or memes, in the words of Dr. Richard Dawkins of the parent, are gaining momentum today. So what if our genetic makeup predisposes us in certain ways? Does that necessarily mean that our genes have absolute control? Identical twin research has led to some remarkable discoveries. Take Jim Lewis and Jim Springer, who were raised apart from the age of four weeks. When the twins were finally reunited at the age of 39 in 1979, they discovered they both suffered from tension headaches, were prone to nail-biting, smoked Salem cigarettes, drove the same type of car, and even vacationed at the same beach in Florida. Interestingly, this pair of twins is not unique. Study after study of identical twins reared apart has revealed substantially the same genetic influence. Despite this, twin research also shows a good deal of variance. The fact is, as geneticist Carl Bruder of the University of Alabama at Birmingham put it, Quote, I believe that the genome that you're born with is not the genome that you die with, at least not for all the cells in your body. Quote. Now, we all have opportunities to improve our lot in life, and we all work toward doing just that. And for that reason, I am convinced that we are not destined to live out a life limited by our inheritance. I, for one, know firsthand that you can change your lot in life, Indeed, when we sense anxiety, we have the ability to recognize and verbalize and therefore desensitize. In my conversation with Mark Woolman, an expert on this matter and the author of It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle, once you recognize the inherited nature of genetic memory and its influence, You can identify these anxious feelings and desensitize them. In other words, you have the ability to save yourself and your children from suffering. I've used the patented technology InnerTalk for years. Verbalizing a realization is the first step in desensitizing and then changing that inner dialogue to self-talk that is fully supportive. And that can really make a difference. As such, my advice, dare to dream big, set goals, and move forward toward becoming the very best version of you, irrespective of genetics or any other so-called predisposition. Those are my thoughts anyway. As always, I welcome yours. How about you, Ravinder? What do you think?
1: You know, I find the whole subject fascinating, um, I think, from a more theoretical basis. You know, I like biology, of course. Um, So, you know, I I do find that all really just interesting. Um, But when it comes down to um, personal empowerment, self-improvement types of areas, I have seen time and time and time again, when you see the cause of a problem, it can often lose its power. Um, so when it comes to anxiety that may be inherited for some reason or another, I think it's really helpful to say, you know, the anxiety isn't real. If you can tell yourself you're back to, you know, the optimistic personality versus the pessimistic personality, there's a great deal of value. It can really improve the quality of your life. So yeah, I find it, I find it interesting, theoretically, um, But from a practical perspective, I much prefer to look at all the things that we can do. They may not fix all the problems, but they make them easier. And every step easier is a step closer to your goal.
0: Amen. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last show featured Professor Kristen Neff, and we discussed her book, Self-Compassion, The proven power of being kind to yourself. Richard wrote, seems much like both stoicism and ACT therapy. Love this show. Linda wrote, I took her self-compassion test. I really need to be kinder to myself. Thanks for the show. Did you take that test? I did. I did.
1: I'm nice to myself. But that's part of my philosophy anyway. I mean, how often have I said, you know, it's time to be kind to yourself, even when you're working on a goal. If you fail today, just try again tomorrow.
0: Renee wrote, great guest. Moving on, Lisa wrote, your Intertalk talk program, I Love My Body, has had this effect on me, taking better care of my appearance, and it sort of happens spontaneously after using your program. Also, I Love My Body is an excellent program for survivors of sexual abuse, rape, and childhood sexual trauma and abuse. Mark wrote, "Elden and I have used your Intertalk talk programs for years and have listened to your radio show. I'm a philosophy religion undergrad, and I'm now a chiropractor, acupuncturist. I'm so impressed and pleased to hear how you think through all the topics on your show. My favorite part of the show is just to hear you help me think. Well, thank you, Mark. That's nice, isn't it? I, I wonder if Mark could have a conversation with you about how you think.
1: Ooh, you've been cheeky. <laughs> I am.
0: <laughs> all right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But please keep your comments coming. We sincerely appreciate your feedback. You can opine by sending me an email at eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at com or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. Now to today's show, Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me with author David Ditchfield. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. David Ditchfield is a near-death experience, NDE inspired artist, composer, and author. He wants to use his NDE to make a positive difference in people's lives. In 2006, he was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. As the surgeons fought to save him, he had a profound NDE. When he woke up in the hospital, he had acquired astonishing new abilities. Harken back, Jason Paget. Mm-hmm. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. David Ditchfield.
2: Hi, Eldon. Thanks for having me along.
0: Good to have you, sir. It's a yeah. very interesting book. I enjoyed it very much. We like to learn oh, three you. things... We like to learn three things from our guests on this show, David. What is the message? Okay. Who, is, who is the messenger? And of course, how do we use the information? To that end, please share with all of us what you're passionate about today and why.
2: Sure. Well, um, that was great, by the way. Interesting. Listen to what you were talking about earlier, um, because it's it kind of figured to me, I was thinking about, you know, my own upbringing and my own life. And before my NDE, uh, I was a very sensitive person and my environment was quite, not so much my family environment, but, but my school environments and where I lived and the, the neighborhood was, was kind of, you know, it was quite tough, I guess. And, uh, and I'd left school without any qualifications. So life was a struggle for me. So, um, it was interesting that I was not, I was going down the wrong road, if you like, in my life. And when I had a near-death experience, uh, what I experienced on the other side and in that experience was uh, ultimate unconditional love. And I learned to love myself for the very first time. And I'd, I'd never known how to do that before. And that was a big turnaround for me because it helped me Guide me through my life and turn it around and and discover whole new abilities, as you talked about earlier <laughs> in my introduction so um so yeah that's that's pretty much uh where I see that you know that where it all comes from it, that's it stems from self love I think self love is a, re- a real biggie
0: from the other side perspective, David, how much of who we are? Do you think' it's a matter of genetic and unculturated predisposition, and if indeed that's true, how much of our behavior do you think we're actually responsible for and or judged by uh, either by ourselves or some you know greater judger?:
2: Yeah, sure. um well actually, I think that genetics are, are very strong. I really do. Um, I, I, I had a good experience with that. I remember I was, I was having a relationship with a girl when I was younger, and uh, she'd been adopted from birth. And I remember meeting her parents, and and we didn't hit it off that well at the time. And some years later, I met her her real mother. You know, um, and this she she'd gone to meet her, and and when we all met up and we all went went for for a meal, and I suddenly connected with her 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 biological mother. In just as much as she did, you know. So, so it was interesting. I thought that's interesting because I'm connecting with the, the girl that I love, and her and her biological mother because there's um, that sort of that you know that natural sort of um, flow is there, you know. So, so, mm-hmm. so yeah. The, um, sorry, you were going to say something.
0: No, I, I'm agreeing yeah. with you. No, Go no, ahead, I'll, I'll
2: continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so. in in as much as um how much uh, are we responsible for for what happens in our lives um one thing i as i say i did learn was that uh, when i had my near-death experience um, i was in that realm it wasn't just me that was there uh, that had grown up throughout all those years it was my pure soul in its purest form and and I was there in the moment, and I'd forgotten all about the past, and all past mistakes had just dispersed from me, and therefore all the moments of regret and and uh, guilt and and all those things that I carried with me, all the negative issues disappeared, and and I and I also didn't worry about the future either. So, in saying that, I felt the most secure and the most confident that I would ever felt in my whole life in that in that moment of time. Um, so it's interesting to say that if we could all have that, if we could all literally stop and, and just forget about all past mistakes or all past issues, I should say, that had happened in our lives, then it would we'd have like a blank canvas basically in front of us that we could start from and start to reassess who we really are and take it from there without carrying any weight.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, uh, David, there was a time in my life that I held a rather atheistic mindset. I, You know, like a lot of young people uh, go to college, find themselves in the sciences um, or the philosophies. You know, the next thing you know, maybe you're ascribing or subscribing, I should say, to what Sigmund Freud had to say is, you know, it's a sugar-coated neurotic crutch religion, et cetera. And so, you know, I used to revel in my ability to confound religious people by illustrating, you know, the inconsistencies and lack of logic and so forth in religion. Now, my life changed due to a personal experience. Where were you spiritually from a religious or spiritual perspective prior to your N.D.? I mean, were you a deeply spiritual person before your train accident? No.
2: No, I wasn't at all. Uh, it didn't really come into my life uh, at all. I, I, I'd say that my life before was was very linear, if you like, you know, I was just, um, I was just living it by the day and any any problems that came my way, I would look for the quick fix, i.e., you know, sort of going to the nearest bar and having a drink and what have you. And I, and I wouldn't address what was going on in my life and all, all those issues. So, and I didn't actually stop. And have any spiritual connection whatsoever so all that came afterwards and and it was just like yourself it was it was a big turnaround it was something big that obviously happened for me that was to change all that and and now my faith is very very apparent and it's very much a part of my day-to-day living but um inside that i'm i'm not really i don't go to church you know i don't, I don't i'm not a member of, you know I, I joined a spiritualist church for a while afterwards because I, after i'd had my near-death experience i knew nothing about them i thought i was the only person that had had one at that stage and then obviously i was really keen to look into it and i was looking online i was researching then i found out there was a spiritualist church in the town where i lived and, uh, and i went down there and i figured that i'd be able to chat to them about what had happened and get some feedback off them and i did they they got it you know they were brilliant and um, but even then i didn't feel there were lovely people and they were very welcoming and i i did attend quite a few services but i didn't feel comfortable in myself to want to continue to do that um so i don't feel like like churches are important to me but but i feel that faith is incredible it's great to have a faith And in terms of like people turning around and saying, well, you know, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Uh, We could go on forever. Science is really important. I mean, without science, I I wouldn't be here now at all. I don't know that much. So I've got ultimate respect for science. Um, But, you know, it's just like people don't turn around and say, well, hang on a sec, where's the scientific formula for people falling in love? You know, we don't question it because we all hopefully experience it at least once or twice or more in our lifetimes, you know, but we don't question that. We don't turn around and say, well, where's the proof? Where's the evidence that we fall in love? You know, we just know it because we experience it. And that's the difference. I think
0: that's a wonderful answer. You know, there are a lot of people, David, uh, in the spiritual area, uh, an area that that gets generally Painted, I think, with too broad a brush, as New Age. Um, I don't see anything that's really new about it either. Most of it comes from Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, uh, Jainism, etc. Okay, but <clears throat> there is this idea that you know, <clears throat> bad people. I'll put that in quotation marks. Make an agreement on the other side to come here and be bad. In order to teach us something, primarily perhaps forgiveness. In in your brief NDE, do you see or feel any traction to that idea?
2: Um, no, I don't actually. I, I don't actually feel that. I do feel that um, you know ad, that w- adversity is, is is thrown along our, into our pathway or what have you to help us sometimes stop and go deeper into ourselves um because that does have to happen you know it's uh you know i mean it's going on worldwide at the moment you know um you know the pandemic that was just like that was a a huge the piece of adversity thrown at us and and it did actually make us all have to stop and reevaluate how we were living our lives you know without you know going into that too much but it's you know it's it's a good example and but i don't I'm not a big thing on on you know, you know people being bad and and you know and being judged and and sinners and things like that I, because I think there's there's an awful lot of that in a lot of faiths and religions you know there's a lot of people made to feel scared or, or guilt and and stuff and and I don't think from from my perspective from what happened to me and the experience I had none of that came into it it was all about love. And that love was just so powerful that that was all I needed to know to turn my life around. You know, It wasn't a question of feeling good or bad.
0: My personal experience says the same thing. I've resisted that notion for some time. Uh, one of the after effects frequently reported by NDE researchers uh, reminds me a bit of a Dostoevsky story, a uh, book actually, titled mm. The Idiot. Dostoevsky actually had his own NDE, and his fictional book draws on his personal experience to weave a tale of a man who cares little for anything other than the beauty and joy of life and unconditional love. He just doesn't get, you know, fussed about anything. As such, as the story goes, soon the townspeople see him as an idiot. His book begs, I think, an important question. What would it be like to go through one's whole life in a pure state of gratitude and generosity? My question to you, David, how do those who knew you before your accident see you today?
2: Right. Um, Well, everybody who knew me before my accident, yeah, um, has seen a, a, a huge change right from the off. Uh, my family were the first, and uh, my close friends, because they would come and see me in hospital. And uh, interestingly, everyone would come in and see me, and I, I was in a bad way physically because I'd been under a train. And so most people were expecting the worst, but everyone was going, "Wow, you're just like glowing. You're just like they were using words like animated. You know, you just kind of got this light coming from you. You're just so positive, and so everybody saw this kind of." inner peace and positiveness that was coming from me and that, and that has continued on um, since then and, and also they've seen this kind of absolute uh, growing wave from within myself of, of creativity which, is, which has kept growing and, and uh, this connection and this, this kind of like a need to be able to sort of get my message across to other people uh, um, what happened and, and to be able to tell my story And they hadn't seen that within me before. They'd seen none of that at all. So, yeah.
0: That's wonderful. It beats my own experience. My mother said to me a couple of three days later, are you a (laughs) walk-in? Another story. (laughs) We've got a break, David. We're speaking with Mr. David Ditchfield about his life and book, Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train Journey to the Afterlife and the Astonishing Proof I Bought Back With Me. We're going to get into that proof. We're going to get into the details of that after the break. You can learn more about our guest and his book by visiting Shine On The Story as one word shineonthestory.com. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Many dogs and cats spend endless days indoors staring at the wall, living for the moment when you will come home and tell them you love them, take them out, and make a fuss over them. Dogs and cats need physical exercise and mental stimulation, things to do and think about in order to be healthy and happy. Please set time aside for them and give them a real life and real love. For more information, please contact People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals at 757-622-PETA or helpinganimals.com. That's helpinganimals.com. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love inner talk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it, until I used inner talk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your Intertalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to intertalk.com.
4: A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldontaylor.com backslash gotcha. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long. By listening
0: for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you could learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual
4: distinction and teaching excellence. Hi, this is Bill Maher. I can find humor in almost anything, but one thing I never laugh about is cruelty to animals. If you don't get the joke either, write People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, 501 Front Street, Norfolk, Virginia, 23510. New scientific research has repeatedly demonstrated that the power of your mind can do wonderful things if you believe in yourself. Indeed, it can literally change the brain, increasing cognitive abilities, rewiring connections, and even adding gray matter. And all you have to do is invest a little time in tuning your mind. The perfect toolkit for just that is the patented and proven effective InnerTalk technology. InnerTalk changes the way you talk to yourself, and that changes everything. For when you truly believe in yourself and your own abilities, magic happens. InnerTalk has over 300 programs to choose from, ranging from health and wellness to prosperity and success, from accelerated learning to relationships, from habits and addictions to spirituality. Remove the doubt and fear now. Go to innertalk.com today.
2: Hi, I'm Peter Singer. Many people would like to help those in great need in developing countries, but they don't really know whether a donation will do good. They wonder if the money will get to the people who need it. Now you can find the best organisations by going to www.thelifeyoucansave.org and clicking on Where to Donate. The Life You Can Save doesn't take any money from the organisations it recommends. It's simply trying to do the best it can. Thank you.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Nothing to me It's nothing to see If I'll never see The English evergreens Are running to.
4: It's nothing to me It's nothing to see I'm dying to
0: Push their backs against the them all the again and again I'm trying to We bitches tear our magazines Those oligarchs with folding mouths Come now and then Don't believe for just one now forgetting you I'm trying to Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. David Ditchfield about his life and book, Shine On The Remarkable Story How I Fell Under a Speeding Train, Journey to the Afterlife, and the Astonishing Proof I Brought Back with Me. It's a great read. You're going to want to get this book. You can learn more about our guest and his book by visiting shineonthestory.com. All right, every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology is an avocation of mind. It's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. All right, your chosen music, David, is Dollar Days by David Bowie. So please tell us, why is this music important to you, and more importantly, how does it inform us about who you are?
2: Ah, uh, right, well, uh, I've always been a big fan of David Bowie, and... Um, this is taken from his final album called Black Star and he knew that he was he was dying he he got terminal cancer when he made that record and it was interesting because i felt that th- his creativity and his voice and his performance was just the most powerful it had been in years on that album which is crazy because you know considering what he was going through and it's almost like he'd he'd already had a near-death experience because he it's like he'd come back he'd been given this second sort of it was like he was channeling all these ideas that was going into that beautiful piece of music you know and um so it's it's also personal to me as well because i'd 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 been into hospital um around the time that that had just come out because I didn't realise at the time I'd, I'd I'd got some internal injuries from the accident, um, but at the time they d- it had just come up on a scan a random scan and they, they thought that it was I got cancer at that stage which it wasn't, it was actually internal bleeding, so um, so at that point I didn't know I didn't know whether whether you know they'd sent me onto a cancer ward and thought this i I may have cancer now but I was able to listen to that album, and kind of just feel calmness from it so so it's it's always going to be a very special. Um, a piece of music for me because it reminds me of that period and it also, you know, it made me feel that David Bowie uh, was accepting of his own passing, you know, which was really quite special.
0: Music does have some very definite magical qualities. Before we dive fully into your story, there are a number of NDE reports that have been rather thoroughly debunked. There have been some outrageous claims as well by some NDE researchers that I've personally challenged only to have the, you know, person in question go quiet and fail to produce evidence she allegedly had despite repeated requests. So, in fairness, the devil's advocate size, Do you have any thoughts about those who might seek to fraudulently capitalize on the public's desire to believe in the afterlife. Oh,
2: I don't know that I've come across any anybody who so far who's who has, uh, because for this. This past 18 months or so I've been talking to quite a lot of mainly US people who've had near-death experiences and we often come off air and we just sat chatting for ages about and um, swapping notes saying yeah did you feel that in the hospital afterwards yes I did you know and there's this, this common very you know and not only that we've all got this kind of very strong feeling and urge right from the off that we that we want to continue with our work to sort of share as much as we can with others about what what had happened in the afterlife and for me personally i mean it's not like yeah i know i've got a book coming out but it's 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 not like a the same kind of end gaining kind of issue of like i want to sell millions you know it's i want millions of people to be able to hear my story because i want people to it to be come out into the world into the, the world a bit more than what it is because my take on it is this and that is that we're all gonna die we, we all know that but basically in, in western civilization we just don't discuss it i'm not saying we should talk about it every day over our breakfast coffee but i think we should at least address it so i think with near-death experiences at least people have had them we should you know listen to people who've had near-death experiences and let them talk about it because it's it's worth hearing you know because it's worth hearing from my point of view I've spoken to people who are who are losing loved ones uh, or who have lost loved ones or are actually at the end of their lives and uh, and for them it's been a comfort for me to talk to them and that's that's great for me that's better than any sort of um, any money <laughs> anything that money could buy you know mm-hmm. so that's what it's all about it really is so if there's people out there trying to extort then that's you know, that's, 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 a, that's, that's an empty sort of road that they're, they're going down. <laughs> so, you know.
0: All right. Good answer, David. Let's do <laughs> Our audience wants to know what happened that day at the rail station in Cambridgeshire, UK. Share your sure. story, please.
2: Sure. Okay. Well, I was, I was seeing off a friend at the station at the time, and I helped her on onto the carriage with, with her baggage and stuff and gave her a hug and a kiss goodbye. And I heard the emergency buzzers go for the closing doors. So as I stepped back, uh, my coat got trapped, and uh, I couldn't pull it free. It was wedged right in there. And there was no guard around on the station that day. There was nobody that, who could do anything about it. And I just heard the engines revving up and then I looked into my friend's eyes and I just saw the look of horror in her face, you know, and I thought, this is it, I'm going to die. Uh, I got dragged along the platform and the train pulled out at terrific speed and I, it was quite a long platform and then I eventually got sucked between the, the edge of the platform and then the train itself and I, I got pulled under. I got pulled under the wheels and I was just, I was basically, it was like being pulled into a very, dark um violent machine and being thrown around uh, from pillar to post and i was conscious throughout the whole ordeal so it was incredibly terrifying and then i suddenly found myself laid in between the tracks and the train was continuing to go on it was a long train and eventually it passed on and then i just lay there and i thought wow i'm alive i can't believe it you know so um yeah um So basically what happened then was the emergency services arrived very quick and they somehow got me off that track onto the platform and then into an ambulance and then uh, I arrived in the emergency department uh, at the Cambridge Hospital and there was a whole team of medics all waiting for me in a big semicircle, you know, and as I arrived there was a lot of frantic sort of um, stuff going on. You know, it was very, it was quite sort of uh, high tension. You know, I could hear all these, this science going over my head and I was thinking, what are they saying? I knew they were trying to save me. So, you know, it was, it was very frightening. Um, and my family had arrived pretty much um, quite quick. You know, they'd arrived and they were at my side. And of course they were all very distraught. And there you go, you see, me talking about my past life and my feelings of guilt and anxiety and stuff. And I remember turning around to my mother. I was going, Mom, I'm so sorry. It's always me bringing in the drama into this family, you know, <laughs> which is mad, you know. I'd just been under a train and it wasn't my fault either. Yeah. And So, of course, you know, she's there in tears putting her hand over my face and over my, over my mouth, sorry, and saying, don't, 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 you know, just relax and stuff. So, So, yeah. So it was at that point that I that I suddenly left that, you know, sort of a frantic sort of scenario that I was in and, and left my body. And I moved into a whole different sphere altogether. So, so you, um, you leave
0: your body. What did you see?
2: Yeah, okay. Well, what I saw was uh, it's, to me, I figured at first that I was in a, in a darkened room. It just felt like this lovely, warm, darkened space. And uh, I saw, I looked around and the first thing I, I saw were these kind of pulsating colours. They were like sort of like ambers and yellows and reds and greens. And they were just slowly pulsating all around me. And I felt comforted by this. And, and I knew at that point, well, I said to myself, I, I hadn't survived it this is it I'm dead this is the next stage that we move on to Uh, I didn't resist it I didn't sort of you know want to go back Uh, you know I was quite happy to stay in that moment because it was such a beautiful sort of contrast to what I'd just been through and it just and as I said to you earlier in the conversation for the first time in my life I just felt comfortable within myself and so yeah I I remember I just laid my head back and I, and I looked up and I'd, I'd seen these grids of white light that were kind of closing in on me and I couldn't take my gaze out of this light because it was just so pure and and it was just like it felt like it was healing me as well um and I it was at that point I felt there was a, a presence in the with me in this space I thought there's somebody here and so I lifted my head and what I did see was this um Uh, androgynous being you know this beautiful form and and wearing just a a simple black contemporary t-shirt you know nothing too sort of ethereal and um i just looked and this being i I call it a being being of light because um this person the, the skin was just radiating this this inner light it was just glowing from in the skin and the expression on on that androgynous beings face was just uh, one of of comfort and one of um of, of calmness and and protection i felt like i was being protected by this being um, now the, the interesting thing is is that i felt like i'd known this being all my life and beyond you know i thought i was saying i remember quizzing to myself in my head i was going who are you where do i know you from i, I know you don't i i just know you you know and um So I decided to check out my wounds because my left arm had been said that I knew that much in in the accident. and So I looked down at my body. And at that point, I realized that I was no longer clothed, but I was laid on this huge slate rock. It was like a big medieval altar. And um, um, all my wounds were completely healed. Everything was just back in place. And, uh, you know, there was nothing uh, at all. To, to worry about. And so that was a really reassuring. Um, so I, I just laid my head back and enjoyed the comfort of this big slate rock, even though you wouldn't normally think that would be the, the most comfortable place to be. It felt like it. And uh, I sensed that there was there was somebody else with me. I've sensed there's somebody else here. And, uh, and I opened my eyes again. And then there were two female forms either side and they got their hands stretched out over my body. And when I say hands, hands stretched out, it was almost like they were healing me, like sort of almost like, like Reiki healing. It was very similar to that. And their hands hovered over my body and I could feel this energy, uh, that was coming through their hands. And it felt like an energy of, of love that was just like sort of slowly sort of pulsating throughout my whole body. And, it was interesting because I knew that my, my physical body was, was pretty much intact, but I kind of sensed what they were doing was was um, healing my soul. They were healing all the, the pain and the, the guilt and all the shame that I carried all those years, and all that was just being slowly healed. And it was as if they were preparing me for something, and I didn't know what, but that's what I figured at that stage. They're, they're preparing me for something. So, yeah, um, it was at that point I, I started to think about my family uh, because I knew how distraught they'd already been back in the emergency department of the hospital. So I thought I'd better look and see if I can see them. So I tried to look over the edge of this huge rock. And as I did, I, I looked down and rather than seeing them in the hospital, what I did see was this most incredible view it was this beautiful sight. it was a uh, it was like a, a waterfall of stars and and all these stars were cascading over it was a huge waterfall you know like looking at niagara falls but it wasn't water that was cascading it was just pure white stars that were just sparkling and they're just cascading over the edge and as i looked down the further i looked the i it felt like it was going from one galaxy to the one to another and I was looking in into infinity, you know, into the abyss. And but it was a beautiful abyss. And um, I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And I just kind of like thought, I'm not actually in a small, darkened space at all. I'm actually in the universe itself. And um, so I just kind of pulled myself back over onto this rock. And and as I did, that's when I felt this sheer force of energy that was that was very apparent and i looked and behind the being of light that i'd first talked of i could see this beautiful huge tunnel of white light that was slowly coming in towards me and this tunnel uh was radiating again more pure white light but there was energy that was coming from this and and uh it was also it was like surrounded by all these flames that were just like very powerfully sort of like rotating around, but there was no sense of um, of fear or anything uh, or foreboding. It just felt, again, it felt like it was there for, uh, for a good reason, for a good cause. Uh, and I just knew, in fact, straight away, that this was the source of all creation. You know, this was God. And I was looking at God and uh, God was also giving me this incredible energy of love and it was just like pulsating throughout every single part of my body really and uh yeah it was a it was a profound moment and and um it was pretty much at that point i was just kind of i I was getting all these answers that were coming through telepathy was i was just Totally coming in, and I just kind of just kind of laid my head back, and I remember I was just smiling and laughing at all this, and thinking this is wonderful, you know, this is great, and and it was at that point I came crashing straight back into my body in the hospital, and uh, yeah, so <laughs> it was quite a, a culture shock to be thrown back into into the, the pain and the and the uh, you know all the anxiety of the hospital.
0: I'll bet. So there I was. But what an experience. <laughs> Okay, you brought back proof of the afterlife, David. What was it? What is it?
2: Well, what I brought back from me, from that was, when I say I brought back proof, was I I came back, and I, re- I straight away I wanted to, to sort of um, record what I'd seen. As I said earlier, I thought I was the only person to have had an NDE. So I thought, I've got to record this. So I thought, I'm going to do a painting. I've never done anything like that before in my life. So... I'd come back with new abilities and I was able to start painting large canvases like I'd never done before in my life, you know, but not only that, I went on to, to start writing music for orchestra to sell out concerts without, without any formal classical training. So basically, you know, the more I was creating, the more I was still learning, there was telepathy coming through and telling me basically that, as I said earlier in the show, that, that, um, the, unconditional love that I received on the other side is basically as, as was continuing throughout my life now, you know, and, and that, that love is the answer. Basically it's, it's, um, you know, once we, once we find that love in, within ourselves and we've, we can all do it, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it, then you can get in touch with your authentic self. And once you get in touch with your authentic self, then, your life will will, will change. I believe you. Me, you know, it will. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to explain, but uh, synchronicity will start to happen in your life. You know, I hate to say things like doors will open for you, but they will. You know, it's you know, it's it it's it's a complete contrast to where I was at before, where I was totally trying to knock on people's doors all the time to say, let me in. I want success, you know, and that was never going to happen. But, but now it's, it seems that that is the answer.
0: You have, you, you, you created a symphony called the divine light symphony that I, I understand was NDE inspired. Your premier yeah. concert was completely sold out, received standing, you know, ovations, um, you don't even read or write music, do you? I mean, this is something no, totally acquired. What does it feel like to be able to, to, to suddenly transform and, and do the art and the music that you do when you have no training in those areas?
2: It's basically, it, well, it feels great because it, it means that I'm constantly expressing exactly what happened to me in the afterlife through different mediums but it's i would describe it as my life is more three-dimensional now. and um, it's the way these ideas come through i call it channeling and i'm channeling ideas through from from another source from from that sphere you know i feel like there's still a like i've still got a connection with that place and they are helping me that you know they are helping me to sort of continue to to work and um it's it's like something you know it first started the very first painting that i did you know i remember when i started doing it i was apprehensive at first i thought how can i pull this off but once i started painting i'd finish each day and i go wow this that's not me i can't have created that i've not just started this painting and I, i would sit back and i'd look up and just i knew straight away i was being helped and i'd say thank you to my guides and thank you to the universe for for you know giving me this um this crash course in painting or, or writing classical music. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great feeling. You know, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's I would it's imagine wonderful. it's somewhat humbling too. I, I'm aware that it devil's is. advocates might say, you know, it's acquired Savant syndrome. You know, you took a blow and, and that's, you know, we have the acquired Savants who get hit on the head and they wake up in the hospital and suddenly they're fractal mathematicians But the rest of your story, I think, you know, colorizes this in such a way that I'm impressed. I've enjoyed our conversation very much, David. And I want to thank you you. for sharing your experiences with us. I want everybody out there to go get the book, Shine On, by Mr. David Ditchfield. It is a great read. You just heard the tip of the iceberg uh, in his story as he shared it with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Do join us again, same time, same place. Until then, next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're
3: interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Elden at EldenTaylor.com.